Welcome to the podcast for St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School Sherman Center that's in Random Lake, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee and south of Sheboygan. We're pleased to share with you recent sermons and Bible classes from our congregation. We welcome you to join us for Divine Service Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have Bible classes currently offered at 8.15 a.m. on Sunday. Join us to receive the Lord's Word and His gifts. Almighty God, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that he may rule and direct us according to your will. Comfort us in all our temptations and afflictions. Defend us from all error and lead us into all truth, that we, being steadfast in faith, may increase in all good works and in the end obtain everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. So last week we didn't get as far as I hoped to, but that's all right. Uh, we get as far as we'd like to, I guess is how we put it. And uh, so we were looking at John chapter 3, and uh, really that large section from uh, verse 22 uh, to the end of that chapter, 36. So I want to back up and actually just go back to 22. I thought we'd get into it last week. We didn't make it. What were we talking about? All sorts of things. It doesn't really matter at this point. <laughs> that was last week. So uh, let's read it again. Just that I know it's a big chunk. Well, how about we read 22 to 26? Let's start there. Not everybody at once. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Aeon near Salem, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. All right, that's, that's a good place to kind of hold up before John's response. Uh, so I, I, I show you on the sheet... This is unique to John's gospel. Nowhere else in the New Testament do we have Jesus baptizing. That's not to say that Jesus doesn't um, instruct his disciples to baptize. It doesn't mean that he actually wasn't doing it because John's the only one that recorded it. Um, But it is unique to John. And so you have uh, even maybe a stronger transition between John the Baptist and Jesus. Rather than just like, I've likened it to like a handoff in a relay race. You know, the prophet comes who testifies of the son and the son takes the baton and runs with it, right? Um, yeah, and if you, I don't know if that's a great analogy or not, but the point being is that it's not just John saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, listen to him, like the father had said to, to Jesus, uh, said of Jesus at uh, the transfiguration. But rather, or in addition to that, John is also handing over baptism. So John baptizes Jesus, Jesus then baptizes uh, others. Now, of course, we know, even though the other three Gospels don't record Jesus himself baptizing, that it is Jesus' baptism. Think of all the language of, say, St. Paul. And, uh, you know, don't, I was thinking about this, by the way, my, my grandfather died. Um, Friday, we think. I'm not so sure. 
because my aunt, he didn't respond to phone call, and it looks like he fell down the stairs. And so she found him yesterday. Um, and I was thinking about the funeral. This will come back to baptism in a minute. I was thinking about the funeral because he was a Methodist. And I've been to a Methodist funeral for my grandmother, who died, what, two years ago? Something like that? Three years ago? And uh, I just kept my mouth shut because, you know, I don't want to make a scene. You know, everybody knows I probably have an opinion. And, but this time, I don't know. I just don't know if I can restrain myself. Because, you know, their pastor asks, asks, you know, anybody has any words to say, you know, now's your chance. Eulogy. And, uh, I don't know, maybe I'll make a scene. Because this is probably the end of, like, regular family gatherings. Because we were gathering, because my grandmother had cancer and then my grandfather. Um, now it's like, you know how that goes. When the, you, can only have, you can only get so many generations together, and then it gets, it gets really challenging. So maybe you have a reunion instead of twice a year, you have it once a year, or even less than that. Regardless of that, I don't know how much I'm going to see them. <laughs> so if I make a little scene, it's okay. And the verse that came to mind, back to baptism, uh, was, Do you not know that all of us um, who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ? We were buried with him, therefore, through baptism into death. See, they won't use... There's a little bit of a baptism thing at the beginning of this Methodist service from their hymnal that they use. But then the rest of it's all about him and not about what Jesus did for him. Which is really... If you haven't been to a non-Lutheran, basically, funeral, um, they're not all that comforting or encouraging. Unless the person was a bona fide saint. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, great, they were a great person, so Jesus surely loved them. Um, but that's, yeah, it's not very confident. And Catholic funerals can be okay, but it depends on the priest. Yeah. My husband was to a funeral. I was still working nights, I think it was in the evening. Mm. At St. Paul, I was like, and he said there was not one word about Jesus ever in the yeah. service ever. It was all about what the man did and how right. he was in the community and blah, blah, blah. There might have been one, but the point being is that... Yeah, that's my point. The overwhelming message is about the person. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's, like, if I have one instruction, kids, listen, one instruction for my funeral is, like, you know, I mean, I don't care if you talk about me, but I have a very low anthropology, a low view of myself. <laughs> so if you mention me, don't mention, you know, oh, Dad was such a great guy, because you know that's not exactly true. Um, <laughs> mention, mention, what did Jesus do for me? Baptized into Christ, right? And uh, you've died in Christ, and therefore you live in him. So uh, it is Jesus' baptism, even if he himself um, wasn't doing it. Although John says he did. Uh, John the evangelist. So this is kind of unique or interesting, I think. And then, you know, John's baptizing in a place where there's much water, which is kind of essential. <laughs> which I don't know what he's saying about where Jesus was baptizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason here is, again, because John's predominant emphasis from chapters 1 to 4, again, I say, say it every week, but it's worth repeating, um, is baptism. It's really about baptism. Even the wedding at Cana is, is baptism. We talk through that. And uh, so even at the death of John, their baptism continues. Um, you see that elsewhere, too. Uh, and baptism is not a unique thing. It's not like this just popped up. But we've had one mention, and we'll get another one here in a moment. Uh, or no, we just had one last week, and then we had it back at the wedding at Cana. The, the jars of purification. Remember, the water for purification. So there, there's been plenty of uh, indication that baptism assumes into itself all the Jewish rites of ritual purification. The washing of 
of the hands before making a sacrifice, for example. Um, or also all those water stories. And by the way, water and spirit are always connected. And so when God's working with water, he's working with his spirit. They, they go together. All right. So that's just an interesting note. Do you have any other thoughts on that that you wanted to throw out about Jesus baptizing? No. Um, the verse a little later on, chapter 4, verse 2, I think it is. Mm-hmm. When Jesus did not baptize only his disciples, did. Um, <laughs> here, it's the people who came to John who said Jesus was baptizing. Yeah, isn't that something? So, so which is it? Um, I actually talk about this in the third paragraph, but I'm, I'll jump the gun a little bit. It applies there as well. Is that, um, this is true, you know this is true in the Christian church, the way that Jesus instructs his disciples, but it's especially true in the ancient world, that if someone with authority sends someone else to do a job, it is, yeah, I, would, I was hesitating to even say as if, it is the one who sent it doing it. It's, it's not even just like a symbol or kind of an icon of the real thing. It is the real thing, right? So, so yeah. For instance, if you're baptizing someone, Jesus is baptizing someone. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, the language we use is an instrument. You know, I'm Jesus' instrument. But it's his baptism. He's the one who's doing the thing um, by the Spirit, by his Spirit. Uh, I'm trying to think of another example of this. I mean, if you received a letter of pardon... Um, by certified mail from the President of the United States, you say, well, no, I need him to tell it to me directly. Be like, no, does it have a signature? Did it come from the President? Did the one who brought it, you know, I think they do this with like medals of honor, right? They'll actually have, they don't just send it through the mail. They send a representative who's authorized to deliver that. You know, or, or like the flag. You see this at funerals with the flag, right? At a, with military honors. Is they don't just, it's not just some Joe Schmo off the street, it's somebody who's actually been commissioned to do that, right? In some kind of military service or, or guard, National Guard or something like that. Right, so uh, that shouldn't bother us, actually, Ron. I mean, it is obvious that it, it could be a, seen no, as a contradiction. contradiction. Right, but Jesus says baptize, and that is Jesus baptizing, even though he's doing it through his disciples. Yeah. Um, huh. So. We have a little bit of a problem with that some, in some places in Christianity. Think of like uh, Pentecostals who think that, that the Spirit has to work immediately with you, like directly. Right? So only if, if you know, I heard the Spirit speaking in my ear, in my head, then is it true. Whereas the, the Scriptures attach the Spirit, as I already said, to water right, in baptism, to the Word being preached, the Spirit is carried along with that. Um, so the, the spirit is everywhere Jesus is because it's Jesus' spirit. And we don't look for... That, that's the real problem with, say, Pentecostalism is that the spirit operates outside of Jesus. So he does things that Jesus doesn't do. And like, well, wait a minute. Actually, Jesus says he speaks nothing that the Father hasn't given him to speak. And that the spirit only speaks what Jesus has given him to speak. So actually the Father, Son, and Spirit act in unity of... of um, unity of spirit. They, they all speak the same. They all speak the same word. It's the same word. It's not like, well, dad said one thing, but the son said a different thing. And then the spirit comes along and it's like, I got a new thing for you. Like, what? Yeah. If that makes so sense. Like of- yeah, they actually put them in opposition to one another. Right. So you're saying with John? I'm sorry, I interrupted. Well, I was just saying it's basically 
the opposite of Chinese telephone. Oh, opposite of Chinese telephone. What is Chinese so, telephone? Well, it, That's probably an ethnic slur now, but go ahead. <laughs> or well, somehow they racist. They pass along a message, but it gets mixed up. Whereas with Trinity, it doesn't get mixed yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. That's correct. And, and incidentally, because the Spirit inspires the Word as it's written for us, it doesn't get, the telephone game doesn't get messed up in transmission, whether it is uh, via Moses or by one of the prophets or even by the apostles. It doesn't mean that they, the scribes don't make errors, and it also doesn't mean that each, each book does not have the imprint of the person who wrote it, right? But that it is God's word and that it is, it's faithful to what God has said. All right. So uh, what else? Do we, anything else we want to talk about with that? All right. John had not yet been thrown in prison. That's actually similar to what we saw back in chapter 1, where we referred to John's, or John's baptism of Jesus in, in, like in a historic way, not in a narrative way. Like, and John baptized Jesus. No, it said, before John, you know, how did he, how did, let's just go back and look. So I'm not just speaking out of turn here. Uh, do you see it? Where is baptism referred to? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh boy oh yeah uh, John bore witness verse 32 of chapter 1 saying I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained on him I did not know him but he sent me to baptize with water and said to me upon whom you see the spirit descending so you see how John's uh, recalling a historic event right? and so the same thing's happening here in chapter 3 um, here it's the evangelist right recording to get that right yeah, the evangelist recording about John and Jesus' baptism and John not being thrown into prison. Right. And that will come up later. Find out more about that later. Yes, Ron. Another messenger for us as Christians in verse 24, uh, 25, where it says, God even dwelt between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over mm-hmm. yeah. the ceremonial washing. It seems very easy to find Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and this actually, these two verses, 25 and 26, I note here, the scene is vague and imprecise. That's my, <laughs> that's my statement. Because um, the purification, I mean, what are you talking about? Which purification? There's many rites of purification. And John, the evangelist, doesn't even tell us, really. It's just, but you're right, Ron, it's the fact that they are arguing about purification, and, and maybe in regards to baptism, and I think that's probably um, that's probably the nature of the argument, given the context, which I think I say here in the paragraph. Yeah, what about this baptism of John? What about all the ceremonial purification? And what, what about what Jesus is doing? You know, how are they the same? How are they different? Let's, let's kind of hash that out. Um, or, the last sentence there... <laughs> Maybe it's not actually a historic statement. That's, that's dangerous to say, I suppose, because you're questioning whether John is being, uh, what do you want to say, authentic or faithful here. But, um, but maybe it's pointing to the scene that now we're going to tidy up that whole thing with, with the wedding at Cana, where you had the purification pots. Um, and that makes sense because of what comes after this, where he talks about the bride and the bridegroom. So we come back to a wedding scene. We come back to purification, which that, those purification pots at the wedding at Cana um, you know, that he turns the water, uses to turn water into wine. There's not much of a theological exposition to say what's going on there, uh, but here we actually get an exposition. 
So we have baptism and then being drawn to um, bride and bridegroom language. Make sense? All right. So uh, maybe we talked about it in terms of like bookends. Um, there's literary. Hey, Greek is not always. Greek literature is not always terribly precise, but you've seen it in English. You remember outlining like a like a story or something where you have A and B and A one and B one. You know, sometimes it's A B C B one A one something like that. Make sense? Yeah. So this is more of like a bookend. Uh, but I think maybe what we have here is you know we have some stories that are kind of running parallel, and we jump back and forth. It's like cutting between the scenes. So wedding of Cana to this example, whereas this Nicodemus bit is connected more to the baptism that came before. All right, following? All right, good. So the argument. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, which is kind of funny because they had come to Jesus and said, <laughs> Rabbi, right? So they're looking, you are a teacher. That was Nicodemus came to Jesus and it said that. Now they're coming to John and saying, Rabbi. So they're giving him... You know, some street cred, I think, is what I said. The kids say, is that right? Credential, credential, street cred, street credential. Okay, never mind. You don't say that? All right. Maybe well if I keep saying it. <laughs> he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness or testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming uh, to him. All right? So now this whole dispute about like, again, maybe John's baptism and Jesus's baptism, that's right here. That's what, he, that's what they're asking about. Now you were baptizing and you were doing this thing, but what about the guy that, you came, that came to you and was baptized with you and you testified of him and now he's out baptizing? Like, like who, who are we supposed to listen to? Who are we supposed to follow? Who's, who's the guy, right? Who's the main, who's the, the main man, as they say, All right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. So, I mean, what are we supposed to do with this? That's basically what they're asking John. How are we supposed to understand this? And then John's going to explain. Right? And th- these will be the last words from John. So let's read. We haven't read those yet. 27 to the end of the chapter, if you would. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. Okay. Um, Most of you have either NIV or English Standard Version, right? Translations? My New King James does not give us a break at verse 31, but my Greek text does. And I think most of your Bibles, is there a paragraph break at verse 31? Yes. All right. Now, we talked about this before, um, and I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but just to point it out while we're looking at it, that 
most of the auto, um, excuse me editors of your of your Bibles are suggesting that maybe now we're moving again out of the voice of John the Baptist and that the quotation actually ends at verse 30. His last words meaning, his last words being, he must increase, but I must decrease. Right? End quote. Very similar to what happened with Mary back at the wedding at Cana, where she says, do whatever he tells you. End quote. And that's the last words we hear from her in John's gospel. And then here, his last words is, he must increase, but I must decrease. It's very similar, isn't it? I mean, uh, again, that in terms of like that handoff is like saying, you know, Mary, she had, she had her, her, <laughs> her moment, which is, of course, to bear the Son of God and to deliver him into the world. But when his ministry takes over, she now becomes part of the bride, his bride, actually, right? and which we'll see at the crucifixion, especially, behold your mother, right? And then um, same with John. I mean, he has his place, but then, then it ends. He has this purpose, and his, but it's for this aim, and then he must get out of the way and let Jesus be the guy. And uh, some, actually some pastors, there's different things, but they'll have them engraved on the pulpit. And I've seen, I've seen a number of different ones. One of them is, um, Sir, We Wish to See Jesus, which is uh, Philip and Nathaniel. We talked about that, right? Okay, that was just a last check. And sometimes it's this, He must increase that I may decrease. Right? So pastors, part of the pastor's job is actually to get your personality and your stories and all of you out of the way and let Jesus be the one who speaks. Let his word speak. Um, maybe it's something else worth mentioning here, but that um, Luther gives us um, three ways, and he's just drawing from medieval categories, three ways to, to read and hear God's word. All right, and okay, here they are. Sorry, it's going to be in Latin. Is that all right? All right, it doesn't matter. I'm doing it anyway. Oratio, have you heard of this? Meditatio and tentatio. Okay, so oratio, this is? Preaching. Yeah, it's like preaching, right? So it's preaching. Right, and we're really, Lutherans are really good at this, right? I think, broadly speaking. I mean, there's probably exceptions that aren't so great, but... Overall, you know, distinction of law and gospel, let the, let the text predominate, you know, preach God's word, don't preach people, right? But we're not so good about the second part, meditatio, which is? Thinking. Yeah, thinking or consideration, right? So um, we would actually say, in our terms, instead of pre- thinking, we would say devotions. That's what devotions are. We just use that language. I don't know where it came from. Sorry, my R's and my V's look the same. I can tell you. I can't. <laughs> uh, devotions, right? So that's that's the prayer guide. You have you have the scriptures, and then you talk about it uh, internally or amongst one another. So this is this is what's called extra nos in Latin, outside yourself. This is intra nos, inside yourself. So and there is a duty of the Christian. It's not part of oration. It's part of meditatio, according to Luther, that you would take what you hear and then consider it. Like, how do I apply this to my life? What does this have to do with me? Person. Okay. Um, and that's devotions. That's why you have the upcoming week's text on the prayer guide, and you have um, also other texts from the past week, or Sunday, and then other things to consider. And just, um, uh, what do you want to say? Chew on them. And then tentatio, this is. Doing? What's that? Doing? Doing, it is. I mean, it's, uh, it's the struggle. Right? So it's one thing to apply it to your life, but it's another thing to put it into practice. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
So like I could say, like, for example, here today in the gospel, be merciful, right? Preach it. And then you say, well, now what does mercy look like in my life? Where can I be merciful? Is that forgiving my children? Yeah, when they sin against me? Yeah, that's what it is. And then Tintatu is like, okay, so when they sin against you, forgive them. <laughs> You're like, it's, it's, it sounds easier than it is. Just put it that way. Right? And so, so the Christian life is really centered on all three things, and they actually work together. So experience can lead you into looking, searching God's word, which may lead you back to the pastor to preach to you. Or you come to confession. You say, I'm struggling, and, and I see what God's word says, and I, I don't know what I can do. And then I preach to you forgiveness of sins. See? So it can work both directions. Uh, why did I bring this up? I don't know. Something fun. Oh, we're talking about this jumping out of the voice of John. So we hear what's going on here. I do know why I brought it up. Uh, we hear the like narration. He must decrease that I would... In- or, <laughs> excuse me. He must increase that I decrease. Right? And then we have John the Baptist give us really a rotten on that text what you just heard he's going to preach. And how are we going to apply that to you? Um, that's up to you. We can do quite a bit of more. Did we finish the coffee already? Oh, that's so sad. I made a lot today, too. Thank you guys for drinking the coffee. I'll make more next time. My God, I'm glad I got it when I did. Sorry, anybody who didn't. It's so sad. It's so good, too. Uh, let's see. All right, so let's talk about what John says. John said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. All right, now that, that could be understood as kind of a general, what we call an aphorism or a kind of a pithy saying, a little thing. Right? And it's true. I mean, is there anything you have that you didn't receive from God? Your life came from God, right? Your stuff came from God. Your church comes from God, right? Um, your children come from God, right? He knits, you, knits them together in, in, in your mother's womb. So, what do you have that isn't from God? Nothing. All right. So John's right about that um, in a broad sense, but um, he's not just saying it. At, he's not just throwing it out like as a wis- piece of wisdom, which even if it is wisdom, which I think it is, uh, he's going to say what, he, what he's going towards is to say I I can't say and I'm only saying things that God has given me to say very specifically. He's talking about his witness, right? You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. You see? So what is he saying? I receive these words to speak from God. He's saying I'm a prophet. Does that follow? All right. So it's true. Uh, and actually, his vocation as prophet, if you like to use that language, um, I on the third paragraph, I say, no one is anything unless given him by God, or given by God, including station, vocation, authority, and work. Think Pontius Pilate. You would have no authority at all unless it had been given to you from above. That's what he says, Jesus says to Pilate in chapter 19. So it's true, it's broad. What is station? Anybody know? Have you heard that language? Position. Yeah, position. So what's, John, what's your station in life? Your vocation is, we'll answer that first. Yeah, your primary teacher. Also son, mm-hmm. right? Citizen, hearer of God's word. Uh, got any other stations? Sailing instructor? Uh-huh. What's your station? 
broader than that, right? You said position, right? What, what does that mean? What do you think? Messenger of No, it's that's vocation again. This is this is a challenging thing from Luther, but he says um, we we talk we talk about it in terms of like classes, upper class, middle class, lower class, or caste system. Um, and you see this played out with Paul uh, in the epistles. Like if you're a slave, you don't you're not trained. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're no longer a slave. You're still a slave, but that's just a relationship, earthly relationship. They didn't have. It's not chattel slavery like what we had in the U.S., you know, where you, you had no, no rights or something like that. Um, your rights were forfeit until you paid your debt. That's what slavery was. Um, not all rights, but, I mean, you have basic human rights, of course. So it's a little bit different. But if you're a slave, you're still a slave. So think of, like, um, Paul's letter, um, was it to Philemon? Yeah, it was to Philemon. Um, on behalf of Onesimus, the slave, right, um, is to encourage, actually, to stay, stay in the vocation. And what, what Luther then draws out of that, and Paul does too, is to say, look, the slave has a wonderful opportunity, actually, to, to preach the gospel to a slave owner. Right? Same thing with an employee to an employer. Yeah, you want to be the boss. I get that. Right? But there's, there's a way that in serving um, your employer, um, you can actually bear witness to, um, to the love of Christ that you've received. Like, like not revealing your, your employer's faults, for example, just keeping them to yourself or, or helping him subtly uh, to avoid scandal or disgrace. Um, you know, when the boss comes to recognize that they've been kind of an idiot, um, they'll remember that. See? So it's kind of contrary to capitalistic America. Sorry is to say, just stay where you are. You don't need to, elev- you don't need to move out of your class system. Um, I don't know what that says, though, to somebody who we'd call lower class, um, because then you also have to couple it, I suppose, with the church's teaching about caring for the, the poor and the needy, right? So you're not taking them out of the necessarily their station, but you're providing for them in that station because you are of a different station, right? And maybe in, in, in the end, you actually, like through vocational training or something, they can be, um, can change stations, but that's going to be a gift to them from God, right? Because the point is, is that, you know, you could, your whole life could be mm, driven by this attempt to try to be something more than you are, something better, you know, some, somehow more important or, or more mm, wealthy or whatever it is. And if that consumes your whole life, um, it's not, you're no longer faithful. It's all about you and not about God. Does that follow? So this is a teaching from Luther. It's, it may be a little challenging um, to stay in your station. and Because uh, God put you there, whether you like it or not. So, I mean, God called me here, whether I like it or like it not. This is my place. And, uh, and be content with that, right? I, mean, that, I, think that, I think that's really probably one of the benefits, of what you would say is that now there can be contentment, if you can say, not in a resigned kind of way, like, I have to be there, but to say, no, this is, who, this is the place that God gave me. And whether I recognize the benefit of that or not isn't the point. This is, these, are, these are my people. These are my neighbors. Hmm. All right, what else does he say? I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Verse 29, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. Fair enough. But the friend of the bridegroom, or we call him the 
the best man, right? The witness, the friend, uh, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice, right? Because now the bridegroom has come for his bride. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second here. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. This joy of mine is fulfilled. All right, so now ancient world practice. I didn't put this on the sheet because um, I didn't know how risque we were going to get today. Sorry, kids. Just be careful. Um, but you've heard it like with the, uh, uh, with the ten virgins, right? Who are waiting with their lamps and they run out of oil. And who are they waiting for? The bridegroom, right. They're waiting with the bride for the bridegroom. Um, part of the story that's not there, because it's not really relevant to that story, um, is that the best man is not out having a bachelor party with the bridegroom. The best man is watching over the bride until the bridegroom comes. That was his job, um, to protect her, for as long as that takes, actually. So it's a, uh, it actually is connected to chastity, for one thing. So to protect her... Um, her from predatorial men, if you want to put it that way. Um, but also then he ends up being the witness of the wedding. And by the wedding, we're not talking about, I mean, in Bible understanding, the wedding isn't when the pastor says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. That's not the wedding. I'm sorry, this is where it gets a little bit awkward. It's actually when the husband and wife come together. That's the wedding. That's what marriage is. That's why when we talk about like extramarital sex, for example, sex outside of marriage, that's actually married. You're actually marrying yourself to someone else. It's not maybe legally declared. Um, this is why if a couple comes to me and say, you know, well, yeah, we're already living together, and we say, let's get you, let's actually pronounce you married because you already are. Like what? I'm like yeah, you are husband and wife already, whether you <laughs> believe it or not, whether you recognize it. So let's, you know, let's go to the judge, get it done, and then if you want to have a nice church ceremony, I'll bless it in church too. But let's actually stop playing games. And parents are not helpful at this. Sorry, adults. They're like, oh, you know, don't expose my daughter's shame. Well, fine, let's just get it, get it done. Just marry them and you know, get you to church. <laughs> There's a, there was a pop song a couple of years ago. Something about going to the church. I can't remember what it is. Somebody who listens to pop music. Anybody listen to pop music? Elsie does, but she listens to Korean pop music, so it doesn't help us here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's the internet. It's beautiful. You can, you can, yeah, K-pop is what it's called. It's, uh, it's a big deal internationally. They, they, they do pop music like nobody else. Okay, um, so what's, what are we referring to here? John, obviously, is, John the Baptist is the friend of the bridegroom, right? He's the witness. He's been watching over the bride, so to speak, uh, until the the bridegroom comes. And behold, the bridegroom has come. That's what he said. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who redeems the bride, if you like, through his death. Right? So um, his job is done. That's what he's saying. My job is done. The, the bridegroom is here. What do you need me for? And you don't need my baptism anymore either. That's done too. Um, that's why he sends his disciples to Jesus. <laughs> you know? Are you the one, the coming one, or are we supposed to look for another? They say that's the synoptics, the other gospels. All right, so let's talk about marriage and this bride and bridegroom language. I know we mentioned it when we did the wedding at Cana, uh, but let's do it here again uh, because this marriage context or image is on three occasions in chapters two to four. 
All right. So yes, baptism is through and through, and so is marriage. And baptism and marriage go together, which is interesting. Actually, by the way, since I mentioned it, um, we talk about marriage being the joining of husband and wife. Um, they, the, uh, <laughs> the Roman church does more of this, uh, but Lutherans have held this language too, is that we see the font, the baptism font, as the womb of the church, the bride. Does that follow? Because you're born from, born again, from baptism. Um, and I've never seen like a really risque font as far as it trying to picture a, a womb. Um, although the Romans, I won't, I won't tell you because it's just getting really, it'll get really awkward. Uh, they have all sorts of rights to try to indicate this with the font. And um, yeah, and they, they make them obtuse enough so that like children don't figure it out. But uh, yeah, that's not helpful. But regardless, yes, you're born from the font. Marriage, three occasions. Uh, so chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, obviously, wedding at Cana. Here, 329. And then we're going to get marriage again in chapter 4, if you flip ahead there, with the woman at the well. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. See, marriage. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband for you. have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. Right? And we'll talk more about what that means when we get to it. All right. So let's look at, how about Ezekiel 16? Let's go jump to that. Ezekiel 16, are you already there? Are you all ahead of me? Not Ezra 10, which is actually about marriage too. Huh, funny that. I'm only giving you, gonna give you the positive marriage stuff, all right, today. But there's plenty of conversation about the marriage of Israel to, to God. <laughs> That isn't so faithful. So when, when Israel goes after false gods, Jesus, I frankly just said, calls it adultery. That's what it is. They're playing, or in the language of the Old Testament, it's a little bit more harsh. They're playing the harlot or the whore. So. All right. Who wants to read this? This is a fun one. Oh, I don't need to read everything. Do you want me to? No. Ron hasn't read. Ron, did you read already? No. Ezekiel 16. Yeah, just read 1 to 14. We'll skip the harlotry bit. That comes out. The word of the Lord came to me. Some of men confront Jerusalem with with her detestable practices and say, This is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. The day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make it clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood, and as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, Live! I made you grow like a plant of the field, and you grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. Your breasts formed and your hair grew. You who were naked, grew bare. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you, I saw that you were old enough for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. Mm-hmm. I gave you 
myself or when entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck, and I put a ring in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver, your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was fine flour, honey, and olive oil. Mm. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. Because the splendor I had given you made you beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. Yeah. So, so notice, I mean, who's the actor here? The positive one. Who's the one doing all the redeeming, if you like? God. Yeah, God is. But, I mean, she was, in that, that language, it's so, it's really brutal, you know? That this was an ancient, this is a practice in the ancient world that children would be abandoned or left for dead um, if they were unwanted, rather than just do it the way we do it now with like surgery and cutting them apart or vacuuming them out, which is horrible in itself. They would actually birth the child and then, um, what do they call it? Mm. Exposure. What's that? Exposure. Exposure. Yeah, that's the right word. Yeah, just, just expose them. Just leave them out in the wilderness. Let the animals devour them. I mean, it's, talk about inhuman. It's just terrible. And that's, that's how God likens Israel. And she's been abandoned by her false gods, which, of course, they're dead gods anyway, so of course they're going to leave her for dead just dying in her own blood. Um, but then he redeems her, covers her nakedness, washes her, clothes her, gives her earrings. Um, nose rings are beautiful, by the way, which is interesting. <laughs> That's ancient world. I don't know if today... I'm not, I'm not really fond of the idea of having something inside my nose. I mean, it's a little, but I'm not going to fault you if you like that. Um, so you see it's marriage, but it's, it's a very particular kind of marriage you know, where... Um, where she's being drawn out of a life um, that mm, is not good. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've had occasions where, where folks will say, well, she used to be like that. And like, okay, she used to be like that, but how is she today, the bride? You know? Well, she wasn't part of the church, and, she, you know, whatever, this or that. And like, no, let me ask you today, who's her husband? Faithful and attentive. You know, people like try to bring up people's past, like as an accusation against the present, um, which one is denying that there is such a thing as forgiveness of sins, <laughs> and two that um, that with forgiveness of sins the Spirit works a moment of life, and cha- it actually changes you. Right? Um, so, I don't know. that's that's kind of that connected to that whole gossip topic, which is unfortunate, but it's just. It's a thing. But here, you know, God likens you to being this really, you know, somebody left for dead, basically. A child left for dead. And that he cares for you and he nurtures you and, and you grow up to be joined into him through, incidentally, with water. Huh. So you have uh, marriage and cleansing with water brought together here in the Ezekiel text. I feel like we read this. Did we read this when we were doing Micah? I think we did. Did we do it when we were back in chapter 3? All right. 
So let's not talk anymore about it. Isaiah 62. Can I start in verse 4? Start in verse 4, fine. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land Louder. shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. Mm-hmm. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. All right. Now, why did I bring this one in? I think we read this one too, probably, back in chapter, earlier in chapter 3. It's that last statement in chapter 5 about the rejoicing. Because remember what John said? I don't know if you can keep your finger in both places. What did John say? This joy of mine is fulfilled, right? So actually having the bridegroom come now brings joy to John because <laughs> my job here is over. In other words, why do you say it? My job is complete. How do people say it? I'm trying to think of the common colloquial phrase. Yeah, well, anyway. So John's, John's rejoicing because who's rejoicing? God rejoices right? over the bridegroom being joined to the bride, which that's just like last week's gospel, right? Joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And uh, hmm, people, so if <laughs> I could have preached a different sermon now, maybe it would have been something like this to say, um, no joy in church. You have no joy. You don't, you don't find this a joyous occasion. Look around. Sinners repenting. Find joy in the fact that you are with brothers and sisters and you all confessing your sins and being forgiven. That that is that brings God joy. Let's rejoice with him. Whether you feel like rejoicing or not, (laughs) he rejoices, the angels rejoice, let's rejoice. Yeah. Actually, maybe that was kind of what I did in the sermon anyway. All right. Any other any other thoughts there? John's joy. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, right, which John says. Which John says, yeah. So hearing the voice of the, the bridegroom. Because the voice, um, and then, is he referring to when the bridegroom comes and takes his bride? Um, the bridegroom comes awake, uh, I'm thinking of the song, with. Alleluia. How's it go? With bridal care, you yourselves prepare to meet the bridegroom when he comes. Wake, awake, for night is flying. Anybody know this hymn by heart? Yeah. I feel like I should know that song. It's, it's the, uh, is it the king or the queen of chorales, Ethan? <laughs> well. I don't know which. Okay, so there's two hymns for Lutherans that we would call, which are called, have been called for about 400 years, the king and queen of chorales, meaning they are the top two hymns for Lutherans, right? Which maybe means we should learn by heart. Um, Wake Awake is one of them, for night is flying. And then what's the other one? Morning Star, how fair and bright. Oh, morning star, how fair and bright. So Wake Awake, which is interesting because these aren't probably well known among other Christians. The watchmen on the heights are crying, Awake, Jerusalem, arise. Midnight hears the welcome voices. This is all what, John, or what uh, Ron was talking about. And at the thrilling cry rejoices. Oh, where are ye, ye virgins wise? The bridegroom comes, awake. Your lamps with gladness take, alleluia. With bridal care yourselves prepare to meet the bridegroom who is near. So he would like announce himself coming. 
Well, you don't know it by heart? It's different than this one. Yeah, don't, yeah, LW messed it up. LW messed it up. We'll sing it quite a bit, so don't worry. You'll get the new words in your head. All right. Is that, it's the king, it's the king or the queen. I can't remember which one's which. I want to say it's the king. So you're right. It's his voice that calls out, and that's why they rejoice, because he's coming. He has come. That's over here. What's that? That's over here. You hear his voice. Hmm. Yeah, and actually he's come. Yeah, John says he's coming, and then he comes. And now um, we've, you know, through baptism, you're, you're joined to him. He's here, he speaks to you, and you delight in his voice. Uh, okay, Jeremiah 33. This is a, I, I know we didn't talk about this one last time. This one's a, maybe a little bit, a little bit more challenging at first. I don't think we can read the whole thing. We might have to look at it. Let's think what part I wanted to bring out. Uh, I guess it's right in the middle. Verse 10, thus says the Lord, again, there shall be heard in this place of which you say it is desolate without man and without beast. That was just like in the last reading, you know, forsaken, right? In the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man and without inhabitant, without beast, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts for the Lord is good for his mercy endures forever. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the land to return as at the first, says the Lord. So you see again that desolate being reversed to being an inhabited place, but you see it's through this bridal image. And then what? The voice of joy and the voice of gladness. Yeah, at the bridegroom coming and redeeming his bride. It's pretty beautiful. Very beautiful stuff. So my point is, is it's all over in the Old Testament. And then John himself picks it up again in Revelation. I only gave you one of them. Chapter 21 is the big one. And hmm, where do we want to jump in? I always give you these long citations, but I don't want to read the whole thing. All right, so maybe jump in at like verse 14. Yeah, that's 216. (laughs) I'm going to talk about the dogs and sorcerers. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Hey, look, there's our other corral. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. There's more in there about the bride language and bridegroom. But that's just a little bit of an example. So John picks up again this language uh, in his apocalypse as well. Beautiful stuff, right? What chapter was that? 21. Oh, I'm in 22. I'm sorry. Did I say 21? I went too far. Is it in 21 as well? Did I put down the wrong citation? Yeah, see, it's in 22. Huh. 21... Oh, the New Jerusalem, yeah. Yeah, well, okay. It's also back in 21, which is what I actually wrote down. All right, where God comes and redeems Jerusalem. But does it actually say bride in there, or did I just get the... Yeah, right at the beginning. Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Mm. And that's connected to Jerusalem. 
It, I know John loves mixing those metaphors. Like, a lamb has a wife? Like, <laughs> figure that one out. Yeah. was unfaithfulness that was considered not just because they're bringing in their false gods because that's true too but they're not actually marrying those whom god had given them to marry so there's that part too because he had commanded them not to marry foreign wives yeah right and that's ephesians 5 if you want to read it that which came first god's marriage to the church and through his son so the bridegroom to the bride or earthly marriage and according to Paul, actually, Jesus marrying the church was given first. And then Adam and Eve are created in such a way in the garden to reflect what Christ will do for his people. Which I know is kind of mind-blowing because you're thinking, you know, part one, part two, part three, things in order. And in, in, in Paul's language in Ephesians, and this is elsewhere, like in Hebrews especially, no, actually, God already ordained before the fall into sin that Jesus would save them. And actually, he set them in a way of life, that is, marriage, begetting children, to show them what he will do for them in saving them and actually adopting them as children through baptism. Now, I know it's kind of like, sometimes the question, uh, this is the question that comes up, kids will ask it especially, like, well, why did God make man if he knew they would sin? And the answer, according to the Bible, he made them to redeem them. He gave you life to save you. But still doesn't really help too much because <laughs> you're like, well, wait, why would he give me life only to save? And that's the whole point. Yeah, it's salvation. Um, so you're born into a world corrupted by sin. And yet, he, knowing that, he already had sent his son to die for you. Like we heard... Um, in the sermon last week, I quoted uh, Paul again, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us bef- before we repented, if you like, before we confessed. All right. And then uh, let's finish with verse 30, if you want to jump back to John, just quickly, because that way we'll be done with that section. Um, we already talked a little bit about him decreasing and Jesus increasing. And the point here is... Uh, John, being faithful, recognizes that, I mean, he is not, he's only God's instrument. We talked about that, right? And, and Christians run into this danger. If we don't do something, I don't know, the church is going to fail or the gospel won't be preached here. And in one sense, yeah, you're responsible um, to care for the preaching of the gospel here and that the ministry here continue um, and, and all, the, all the means that God has given you to do that. Yes, but you aren't the prime mover. You're not the one who makes it happen. God uses you as his instrument, but it's his church. He gathers, he calls, he enlightens, 
he's the one that actually will make and preserve this church. So if, if anything, rather than wring, wringing your hands and saying, we don't do something, blah, 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 is actually say, actually stop and pray that God give us both the will and desire and, and means to do the work he's given us to do and trust in him to do it, right? Um, so stop thinking about yourself and all of your failings and think about what, what he's promised. And that's what John is doing here too, is to say, look, you know, this isn't my, this isn't my show. <laughs> I'm not the one who does this. And we'll, if you just want to jump to chapter 10 quickly, you'll see this pick up later again, right before the, um, before the, before his, before Passion Week. So just shortly before that, you see, John is not the good shepherd, right? I am the good shepherd. I'm not, he, I mean, John almost likes himself to like a hireling. He's just there to kind of care for the sheep until the shepherd comes. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. I know the sheep and am known by my own as the Father knows me. Even so, I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see? So it's Jesus' work. He's the one to do it. And then also 12, 23. Look at that quick. Yeah. Now this is right at the beginning of the Passion. Um, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Ooh, that could be referring to John the Baptist, couldn't it? Hmm. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it forever, eternal life. If anyone serves him, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And you can keep reading. Uh, there's more there, too. All right. So notice, how do you want to know? How do how do you come to know God um, as Father is through the Son Jesus. How can you know the Son Jesus apart from hearing Him and following after Him? Right. That's why John says, "I got to get out of the way because this is the guy." Right. I was only preaching baptism for as preparation, repentance, but here comes the one who baptizes you not just with water, but with water and with fire and the Spirit actually will purify you and cleanse you and also give you new life, which is what the Spirit gives. See how that works? So again, I mean, this is a pastor problem. It's like, if, if, it's, if you sense that it's becoming too much about Pastor Gillespie and not enough about Jesus, you know, get on my case. I might not like it, but I need to hear it. You know what I mean? Like, Pastor, get out of the way and give me Jesus. Stop talking about yourself. <laughs> yeah. All right. And we'll talk about then John's kind of uh, preaching or confession here with verse 31, but we'll hold that off till next week. So I think we got half a sheet there uh, done, so we'll do the other half next week and maybe move on to four if we can. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, you have placed us in stations and given us vocations uh, to serve you. In all of these places in life and occupations that you give us, we ask that our whole lives would be testaments uh, to your grace and mercy, that everything we do be done in the name of Jesus and to your glory alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting 
stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.